You can do it. Are we level? We're level now. Yay. Okay, starting over. Hey there, Jolted Indian podcast listeners. It's Miranda. Pooja. And Anju. And we are talking about Indian weddings today. Because it's Indian wedding season, so um, it's July now. I'm guessing everybody's been to five million weddings this year, yes? Uh, so far, yes. Not me, all of my friends are married. <laughs> I don't know how, but in my late, mid-late 30s, people keep getting married. My, my younger cousins keep getting married, as well as children I mentored when I was an adult are now also getting married and having kids. So. I avoided that by not mentoring anybody. <laughs> and, you know, my parents, they tell me that they're going to such and such weddings every once in a while. And I'm like, who? <laughs> <laughs> I learn about weddings when I go to my parents' house and get nosy about some very beautiful Indian invitation that is on their table. I'm like, who? who's getting married? What is this? I don't know these people, but this is a beautiful invitation. <laughs> <laughs> so in this episode, we are going to talk about Indian weddings, the good, the bad, the ugly, from culture to food, the family to clothes, as well as some tips to survive an Indian wedding if you are a single woman, as well as a short review of the wedding movie, Veer the Wedding. What's your first thought? a wedding invitation comes out or a friend of yours gets engaged and you're like, um, I'm happy for most of my friends who have found their happiness. And then you get closer in proximity to the wedding and some shit sinks in. What am I talking about? Is it the, what am I going to wear? Part of it is the, what am I going to wear? Especially if it's an India wedding, like I can get by for a couple reasons because I'm a Western classical musician and I've been asked to sing and play trumpet at weddings for the last 20 some odd years. So I get away with being able to wear just black slacks and a black top or American clothes and I don't have to go dress to the nines and I just kind of get away with it because the rest of the wedding is American. It's, you know, the most Indian aspect of it may be that the girls are wearing saris, but like I still wear my concert black. When I hear the word wedding, I think of, well, Indian wedding, I think of a couple things. Who is it? And do they have good taste in food and music? Because that also determines whether or not I go to this wedding. Um, I ask those questions because I have a, obviously I have a list and ranking system as to determine whether or not I'm going to go to a wedding. I love going to family weddings on my mom's side. I didn't grow up around them, so every chance I get, I want to go to one of their functions. If I'm going to a very close family wedding, I will dress not as fancy because I know I'm going to be expected to help, which I don't mind doing because I feel that's part of the gift of family and weddings and things like that, being part of that tradition in that way. Or is it one of those occasions where you can get away with being more modern than Indian? If it's an Indian wedding. I have one thing I need to be concerned with, and that's, you know, I'm going to wear a sari. I'm probably not going to wear a, a, am I even saying this right? A salvar? Anyway, <laughs> so like, uh, I'm not going to wear a salvar. I have a tattoo. Part of my Indian wedding nightmare since 2006, and there's been a lot of weddings since 2006, <laughs> part of my Indian wedding nightmare has been covering the tattoo that's on the backside of my rib cage on my right side. Oh, so below. Right, the just below line. the sari blouse line. Every wedding. Didn't think that through, obviously. I did not. <laughs> Care, but I got this tattoo, and it's below. It starts above the sorry blouse line, ends below the sorry blouse line, and so, surprise, mom, if you're listening, 
I've had to not only pack the sari, but, and you know, what if they like measure me? And like, like I had to make sure that I had a tank on, like a really tight tank that they can measure me with so I don't have to take the tank off. And then I, I have to, the day of the wedding, when they're like, come over to Yadagam to Auntie's house to like get dressed, or you're gonna, you know, we're gonna get dressed and such and such auntie is gonna help you. I have to, like an hour in advance, go to the bathroom, get all the concealer out, Cirque du Soleil fuck up my body and twist so that I can put makeup on this really fucking awkward backside of my body. I don't go overboard. Like I, if my bra covers it, my bra covers it. But there is this giant area that's not covered by that. And then, okay, it's India or it's Texas. And what happens in you those two places? You sweat. You sweat. So it's not just covering it up. You have to powder that shit down and make sure that it stays covered the whole time. When the auntie is wrapping the sari around you, you've got to place your elbow right where she is so that the tattoo stays in the shadow of your elbow. Because what if she's looking? You know, they're pleading. They're looking. You know, when you put on a sari, you're like, there are certain details that must not go overlooked. And the pleats... The pleats are a big fucking deal. So I just kind of, I do the twist. <laughs> I do the twist. The tattoo twist. The tattoo twist. And then the wedding happens and the, there's a way to wrap a sari where you can like have that whole area covered, but it's putting on the sari that's dangerous. And then guess what? You take the sari off and wet what's on the sari, fuck load of makeup. So you, when you give your sari back to your mom, before that happens, you're in front of the sink, just <laughs> rubbing that Scrubbing makeup it. off of your fucking sorry. You hand it back to your mom. Your mom was like, what happened here? I'm like, oh, I don't know. I sweat a lot. I would like to call back on our episode about lies. We are masterful <laughs> liars for a reason. Um, that is a very impressive multi-pronged lie. <laughs> Thank you. And so this is what I'm concerned with at when it comes to clothes at a wedding. I don't know if y'all have similar or strange stories surrounding clothes. I don't have a tattoo. I have cousins who have had tattoo have tattoos and have had this situation. So what else are we concerned with when a wedding comes along? I don't know about you, but the gift. How many weddings have we all been to? How many gifts have we bought? And how much money do you think that accumulated up to? Well, if we're talking about Indian weddings, there's no gift buying, you give cash. And <laughs> I, I, there's, that's cultural. I mean, we're talking thousands since you've had a job and been working now. And um, trust us, friends, we are coming for our reparations <laughs> on that eventually. But going back to the tattoo thing, I'm quite the opposite. I have, I have a new tattoo. It is about a foot long and it's on my thigh. But that's a recent tattoo, but I have a tattoo on my shoulder, on my right shoulder that I've had for about 15 years, 17 years. And I take the opportunity to show them off anytime I get. And so, well, the back one, because that's the one I've had the longest. Also for clothing, it's like Indian fabrics aren't really meant Fashionable, like high fashion Indian fabrics aren't breathable because for, especially for saris, you have to wear a petticoat. And if you're mean, you're big busted, you gotta wear a really, really thick bra to stay in place so your sari blast doesn't move. So it's, it's hot. 
Even if I wear a lot of undercotties now because you can get away with wearing that as a dress. You don't even have to wear the pants underneath and just your really thin dupatta. And so it looks like an evening gown. It's breathable. Get them without sleeves. You're good to go. Let's talk about, I, wanted, I want us to talk about the different rituals because you guys are Christian and I'm Hindu. And I, I don't know about a Indian Christian wedding, like what are the rituals I've attended, but like to me it read, the ceremony itself was read Catholic, but I don't know what your other pre-wedding traditions are. Well, it's not as fucking cool as a Hindu wedding, That's for sure. And most of the pre-wedding rituals that happen, like I think a lot of Indian Christian weddings that happen have, you know, like the mix of Indian culture in it. Like they'll have the pre where, you know, the girls are, get, they get together, the mom comes in to what says a prayer or something. I don't know exactly what the Indian Christian like <laughs> traditions are, but they're, you know, a lot. I remember when my cousin got married um, in India, we all met at my grandmother's house and I was there with the male, like the, the, the groom. And they have their pre-wedding rituals. I just don't remember it being as distinct or as gorgeous as the henna and the the traditions that I, you see on freaking monsoon wedding, you know? Um, they do have their traditions. I'm just too shitty to know yeah. what those are. Same. There definitely are traditions um, for both the bride side and the groom side the day before the wedding. Um, again, too shitty to actually know what they are. We're going to ask. <laughs> As for the actual wedding itself, um, it's pretty much just a standard Christian wedding, except for there is the, um, the giving of the thali which is um, the, the gold pendant, which is strung with string from the wedding sari, which is the other big tradition. So there's a wedding sari that the groom gives to the bride during the wedding, and then there is the pendant that is tied around her neck with, a, with threads from the sari. And sometimes the, the thali is like a gold chain with a leaf. You know, like it's a, right. Well, they replaced the thread with, with a the gold, gold chain, chain right. after the ceremony. It, yeah. But it, during the ceremony, it's supposed to be tied with the thread from the sari. Okay, I learned something new. Um, then a there's the, turn of the nuts. <laughs> and then there's the mantrakori. The mantrakori is the wedding sari, yes. Okay. And that that's put on the head of the bride yes. during the ceremony. And uh, you know what? Which um, symbolizes the husband's ability to care for the you know to provide for the wife yeah and then i think we have before the wedding the engagements not some like oh she said yes it was not that in the in the christian indian culture um the engagement in fact my cousin got engaged recently and my parents are in india right now and they're um sticking around longer because he got engaged and they're going to be able to attend his engagement so there's a formal engagement party. There's a ceremony. It's a ceremony, yeah. In the church. Mm -hmm. It's basically a pre-wedding wedding. A pre-wedding wedding, that's right. And um, in some cases, they just make, you know, my brother had his engagement, so on and some such, you know, happen for, with my, at my sister-in-law's house in Pune. And that was a few days, you know, before the wedding or whatever. But he already asked her to marry and he already got the ring and stuff. Like, I don't remember ex the exact details of everything. But, you know, we were there because they were getting married. <laughs> so it's kind of silly that the yeah. engagement happened um, after we already decided the marriage is happening. I just think that's funny. And then after that, there's a banquet. And uh, we could talk about Indian cultures versus Western cultures. But... Really, we get the shit end of the stick in the Christian wedding business. Our shit's just not as fun. 
um, tops. The one thing I'll say I love about Indian weddings in India is uh, back in the 80s. A full three decades ago, y'all. <laughs> back in the day. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you for that, though. In, the old, in, you know, in our version of old school, because there are some people who say old schools before that. So in our old school, you would have the banana leaf, and the, I forgot what the term is for the many, you know, food dips around. Shitty Indian, I don't know. I think it's also called, hold on, Uncle Google. Boom shakalaka. Indian name for a round platter used to serve food. And there'll be a selection of various dishes which are served on a platter. Wow. Tali is all over this wedding business here in <laughs> the Christian business. But like they'll have a, you know, a banana, they would have a banana leaf. And I remember sitting on this long table with friends of my relatives and everybody be eating, you know, this wonderful Indian dish on a leaf and everybody eating with their hands. And then they saw how slow and sad I looked. So then they would hand me a fork. <laughs> I think I oh, told y'all that story yes, before. Because in Indian weddings at the reception, people eat, but it's a buffet, but people also eat in shifts because there's so many people and there's only so many tables. So you can't be slow, Miranda. Yeah, you gotta it was, fast. You got to vacate your spot for the next person. I was so comfortable. It was in the shade. <laughs> Over to the more interesting wedding. That Okay, I wouldn't say more interesting. I would definitely say probably more expensive and more emotionally laborious. <laughs> So uh, I'm, I've said it before, I'm Hindu-ish, and uh, <laughs> I'm also very Caribbean and West Indian, and we have different traditions than mainland India. Our weddings are a week long, at the very least, and that is in addition to an engagement puja, which is performed by the bride's parents before the wedding, right? I'm not sure about the groom's parents, I know the bride's parents I've only had experience on bride side, so I know we do it. And then when the wedding gets here, you have ritual after ritual after ritual. In Trinidad, there's, I don't know the order of them, but here they are in, in randomness. One is where the bride's mother bathes the bride. And in Trinidad, we do that with um, your clothes on, because that's weird. You're a grown-ass adult woman. <laughs> um, when it's child bride, I can understand that. You probably could not be old enough to you know, tie a knot. And also there's this one part called, we call it the Digdati, but it's the Matikor, um, where the, doesn't matter the bride or groom, it's your maternal aunt, your maternal, your biggest aunt, oldest aunt, who does the stuff for that. And that's the ceremony where you get rubbed with the turmeric, because colorism. And uh, I do love that the groom gets the leftover turmeric from the bride. You don't get your own. You get a waste. Then there is the Sangeet night, also known as the Henna night, and then there's the wedding ceremony itself. And so in Hinduism, you get married at the bride's house because there's a whole thing about leaving, the woman leaving her parents' house that's part of the ceremony. She just got to the wedding, and it's already way fucking cooler than Western <laughs> Christian weddings. Like, you know, I'm saying, y'all have really cool traditions. Well, the coolest part about it, I think, is just if you get there early enough, you get all the gossip about the people who are about to get there, right? Both bride and groom's family. And uh, if you, you get the gossip, then you get the people coming and hear their side of the story. It's just for me, growing up in Texas, so cut off, I said my mom's family uh, for so long, for like 25 years, it's just really fun to be in that environment where you're just welcoming family. Even as a kid, there's that. And then 
the Western part of the culture seeped in. And so we'll have the Hindu rites on a Friday. So that way it'll be a vegetarian feast because we feed you. And we also do have the banana leaf and the seven curries and things like that that you put on it. Then on Saturday, we will have the liquor-filled party. And so the liquor and meat-filled party because we're Hindus and we don't do that on the same day. Part of West Indian culture, I don't know if it translates to Indian culture because of the non-drinking, we go to our trunks a lot during the wedding ceremony. <laughs> <laughs> Do not listen to this mom, but when we were at the temple last July for my cousin's wedding, somebody was in charge of having supplies in the trunk. So you go outside the temple, get hydrated and dehydrated at the same time and come back in and pretend nothing's wrong. So, um, I, I, so that's like Hinduism is a bunch of rituals. You either understand them or you don't. Everything supposedly has meaning. Mm, could just be like ownership of women transferring to me that's a lot of it so i care about weddings for the party aspect infinitely cooler so <laughs> say, uh, we do have the like back when i went to indian weddings like here on u.s soil not necessarily going back to the trunk but i remember when i was a teenager and a preteen you know there was the meeting, and this wasn't necessarily at weddings, but there was the early exit slash sit in someone's car and listen to the radio and, you know, listen to whatever Casey Kasem, like, top whatever was <laughs> happening. But I don't know if that, you know, I don't know that we had, like, a trunk drink at the trunk situation. I, Indian people, maybe I was unaware and this was happening anyway, like, because that, that's entirely possible. I wasn't cool enough to be invited to the trunk. I feel like most of these kids weren't. <laughs> so. I think we were all too scared to be cooler than Too scared were. to get caught. Too scared to get caught, right? Now we're adults and we have to, well, there's the, the labor of getting ready. There's a labor of, for you, Pooja, like taking care of a week's worth of wedding events. That's why I always have to know who. <laughs> <laughs> to decide if you're going to give that kind of effort. For, okay, so can we talk about gifts? Can we talk about the economic uh, impact it has on this single mid-late 30s woman uh, when everyone's getting married? There's the gift. And then in some cases, there's the travel, there's the hotel, transportation to and from the airport, things like that. Talk to me. There's not just the gift. There's the gift for the engagement party. There's the gift for the bridal shower. There's the gift for the bachelorette party. There's the gift for the wedding. So what has turned into yeah. let me show up and give you cash so you can do something with it has turned into you get four things out of me, including my time, right? And so I feel like that's why I always ask who, like who gets four gifts out of me? In addition to presents, there's that pressure to be on a certain level of behavior if it's an Indian wedding, right? But we'll get to that. We want to talk about presents and the expectation. Like, what do you give as a single woman? I give cash straight up. You're getting cash. I love the question, who? <laughs> um, we live in a gift card generation. I think it's perfectly, like, perfectly acceptable to give a gift card as a gift. A lot of weddings have registries, so they're telling you what they want you to get which takes kind of the gift-giving aspect out of it. Now you're like buying their livelihood. And it's, I, I, that's a gift. I mean, helping them out with the livelihood that they want, that's a gift. But I feel like I don't get to be thoughtful. Does that make sense? It's turned into an obligation. This is the whole wedding industry in general. I think one of the things that has happened is it becomes so commodified with all the layers of gift-giving and all the gifts that I think what you're feeling, what you're expressing is it takes away from what 
a wedding is supposed to be, but never was, was a celebration of a union and starting a life together. So when you're giving cash or something towards that, it builds a sense of community. I'm contributing to your future in this way. Versus, here's a negligee, here's a fork from your china collection, good luck. You know? uh, <laughs> and who does anything with that fucking fork? No, nobody. Nobody. The Pope never comes over to your house. That would be ours. Like, our, <laughs> our celebrity, anyway. I was going to say, oh, that fork's going to be used to stab a motherfucker when he betrays you. <laughs> you done, fool? He had it coming. <laughs> he had it coming. He only had himself to blame. Okay, so I don't even know knife. if that got picked up by the mic. I just broke into Chicago. <laughs> but before we move on, let's talk about, like, your first memory of a wedding. Like, we talked about, we all, we... You can piece it together from our past episodes how we feel about marriage. <laughs> um, my first wedding experience was my oldest cousin getting in the U.S. Um, getting married when I was in high school, a freshman. I was fourteen actually, which it was a good. It was it was both good and bad. I guess it was like it was the first, you know, and it was a destination wedding and the whole family together. It was all very exciting. Um, but I was also at that awful age where you're fourteen and you want to be really cool and hang out with the older cousins, but you're still young and have to hang out with the younger cousins or your younger cousins in this case my younger cousin was mad at me for not wanting to hang out with them and wanting to hang out with the older cousins so it was a very dramatic weekend i think i already described to you part of my first wedding experience is not eating fast enough off the banana leaf the indian wedding experience that just kind of like jarred me was i think one of my first ones and it was my aunt and uncle getting married when I was eight. I think I was eight years old. The boys were separated from the girls in the church. So when you sat down, you didn't get to sit down next to anybody. Uh, but I do recall being near the front because my parents were always sitting in the front all the time, every time. And so I'm in the front for this wedding. <laughs> uh, separated from the boys and then I don't understand what anyone's saying just like every Indian mass I went to in my life and once that was over then it was to the house and I think I got to wear an American dress at this wedding actually I didn't have to wear Indian clothes I, don't, I was a kid so it didn't matter uh, so much I have three distinct wedding wedding memories. The first is when I was young, we would always go to Guyana in the summer for one of my aunts to be married, uh, or my uncles. And I remember being a part of you know little girls who rubbed the turmeric on them on the Manticore night. I remember that. And then I remember the first wedding I came to in America as a child was my aunt, my dad's sister's wedding. I remember, and she married a Pakistani man and I'd never been to a Muslim wedding and I was so confused because I was expecting one thing and another thing happened and I went up to my mom like, did she really get married? But I also shaved my eyebrow uh, when I was six because <laughs> I saw my aunts grooming themselves and assumed that why not shave off one eyebrow? <laughs> what? And then the other one I distinctly remember is the first wedding of someone close to my age in my family and everybody it's the first wedding in america once everybody had emigrated and that was in 1999 in new york so those are my three distinct wedding memories and um and as a child i remember enjoying weddings as a teenager i remember thinking weddings was all about family i hadn't seen in a while and enjoying it on like a, a level of being a little bit of a of a, um, a harlot and because uh, <laughs> it's so much activity my parents aren't paying attention 
And as an adult now, I hate weddings, like the ritual of it, but I still enjoy those parts of it I enjoyed as a kid. I do recall having a crush here and there for some boy <laughs> at church or in Kerala Association or something. I would, you know, if I had a crush on a guy and there was a wedding coming up, there was a chance, there was a fraction of a chance he would be there. And what did I do the whole hour and a half of this wedding or two hours? God, it was a long wedding usually. So I'd have a crush. I'd see that crush or I wouldn't see the crush. And I would just, I, honestly, my eyes would look at every crevice of that building to see if he was there. But anyway, uh, that would be one thing for my the wedding. I have to tell my worst wedding story. Um, my best friend's wedding, and she is already laughing because she already knows what the story is. Um, I was the maid of honor, which is a terrible idea. And I want to be clear that I made this clear to her up front. I, that was a terrible idea. And also, we'd known each other since we were 10, so she should have known what was going to happen. Um, but I forgot to bring the ring into the actual ceremony. Oh, damn. <laughs> I had it in my purse for safekeeping because I did not trust myself not to lose it. Obviously, I was wearing a dress that did not have a pocket. Um, and then got rushed out of the room downstairs where we were getting ready and to go line up and completely forgot to bring it with me. So I don't remember a single thing that happened during that ceremony because I was panicking the entire time, <laughs> waiting for the moment um, when she turned to me for the ring, which I did not have. Luckily, uh, my best friend is also super anal retentive and um, she did not trust her ring bearer with the actual ring. So she had <laughs> sewn a hoop earring onto a pillow for him. So I managed to pass the word down, telephone style, through the other bridesmaids, bridesmaids who talked to her brother behind us, who managed to pry that thing off the pillow and pass it back up. So when she turned to me, I handed her this earring. She looks at it, looks at me, rolls her eyes hard enough that my parents in the back of the church saw her, <laughs> and keeps it moving because she is amazing. And somehow she is still speaking to me. I Good person. <laughs> I have a clarifying question for you. <laughs> when you played the telephone game, how? what did you say? Because if you say, ring in person, car, when it get, if it's my family, it gets down to finger nurse and car. <laughs> <laughs> that is vulgar. <laughs> what are you guys doing? nature of the telephone I game. I don't think there were words. There was probably, look again, I was in panic mode, so I don't remember anything that happened or what I said, but I'm fairly certain I'm like mind to something and somehow the other bridesmaid who really should have been the maid of honor figured it out and got the situation handled. How are you alive? Like, I don't know. <laughs> Honest to God, I don't know. Because you know how there's the bridezilla trope. Yeah, no, she's, she's a fucking saint. Thank you, Suey. I love you. <laughs> but also, how boring would it be that Andrew didn't forget the rain? <laughs> how boring oh, is oh, that narrative? Oh, the photographer took a picture of her new husband wearing the earring before we managed to get the ring switched out. Oh. <laughs> Backup plans exist for a reason. My worst wedding story is I was maybe six, five or six, the summer of 1986. And I was so excited that my one of my favorite uncles was getting married. I ran into the temple and then slid. I fell over and my dress was this really 
cute, puffy, shiny, white thing, and I slid on that tile floor from the end of where people were sitting on, because in temples he sat on the floor. So the end of that marble floor all the way up close to where the um, mandap was, and the mandap is the canopy you get married under. So I slid basically 100 feet on the floor. And one of my uncles, like you could hear him laughing <laughs> across the mandap. And to this day, he'll bring it up if he sees me. So that's my most embarrassing. And ever since then, since that summer of 1986, I've fallen multiple times in public. I don't have a good story. <laughs> I don't have a good story. This, other than my tattoo cover-up, I have to say that's the number that one was, night. That was that's a good story. A, that's not just a good. That's not just a one-time thing. That was a recurring nightmare. Continues to be. Next, we're going to talk about how to survive an Indian wedding when you're a single woman. Dun dun dun. Anju, tip number one. I know the answers to this. It's drink, keep drinking, and drink some more. We're done. <laughs> and we're done. There's nothing else to say. I mean, drinking is great, but what if you're like me and you have two ceremonies and one doesn't have alcohol and one, the trunk is empty? Like, you're not cool enough to get invited to the trunk. Mm. What are your tips then? Also, what if you're like 19? I think, oh, okay. I was going to say, I think you're asking, how do you hide a flask in your sorry? <laughs> also, if you're bugging a 19-year-old about, well, okay, first of all. 19-year-olds don't have the problems at a wedding that 20-year-olds do. And 20-year-olds absolutely do not have the problems that a 30-year-old woman have being single at a wedding. So, what are we drinking about, ladies, when we are talking about these problems? Well, we're talking about the auntie who's spilling out of her sari that says... Baby... You're next. <laughs> I have tanked. Maybe the best way to do this is what is the drink for this scenario? Oh, I know. Well, chances are they only have wine or beer at the bar and you have to pay for it. What are you talking about? Every Indian wedding has whiskey. Not really. Not true. It's not true. So not having an open bar is blasphemy <laughs> and forgetting your culture. <laughs> so um, what drink do you suggest? Well, okay. If there's not an open bar, that means you have to carry alcohol in your trunk. And for that, you want vodka. And you want vodka, you want to buy it the day before and put it in your freezer and then get a cooler. That way it's chilled all day long. Keep it in your truck. Uh, the scenarios where you need alcohol. What happens, going back to Miranda, when the auntie comes up to you and tells you you're going to be next? It's different than somebody asking you when you're going to get married. So the auntie comes up to you or the uncle and says, you're next. What's your drink of choice, Miranda? A premarital sex gimlet. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason why I suggest this drink, of course, is my first attitude the second somebody says, when are you getting married or you're next or whatever, the first thing I think of like immediately is what would offend this person the absolute most? <laughs> and I just, that's the first thing I want to say to that person. I want to say something really offensive and 
preferably with a drink in hand. So I don't know, for that situation, I'd say whiskey and Coke is a good one. I mean, is a tequila shot an option? Yes. Uh, yeah. Okay. Then yes, that's where <laughs> yes. I would go with that. Tequila yes. for your next. Okay, what other things are said to women in their mid-late 30s? If it's a cousin getting married, why weren't you in the wedding? What's your drink of choice for that? Mine. <laughs> Mine is probably going to be something super strong and probably a She-Hulk because it's crown and hypnotic, a shot mixed together and it turns green and that's the emotion I have. I will She-Hulk out. <laughs> Why aren't you in this wedding? Because, let's ask that question again, who? Who? Yeah. Who is it? <laughs> this is more than four gifts. If I'm left out of a relative's wedding, I prefer a disclusionary Long Island iced tea. <laughs> because I'm a little thankful. I'm a little thankful I'm not buying that dress. Or I'm a little thankful I don't have to put cover up over my tattoo. I'm a lot thankful. I'm a, I'm a little thankful for not being in that party. I can wear what I want and maybe possibly, just possibly be more comfortable. So what about you, Anjum? What is the celebratory drink? <laughs> <laughs> Champagne. Let's, let, let, me, let me stick with my tequila theme and I'll go margarita. <laughs> oh, what's the next thing? The next scenario is you are sitting at the children's table. Oh. My drink at that choice is going to be something that evidences your bad judgment in putting me <laughs> at a table with children. So I'm going to drink what gets me drunk the fastest. Oh. It's going to be straight vermouth. <laughs> I don't know. I love kids and I feel, I don't, and you know what? I feel obligated to be like super friendly to kids. If I'm put near kids, I've got to have a conversation with them. I just, I don't know. I'm, I like kids. I like kids a lot. I don't want to have them. I don't want to have one. I don't ever. Uh, but I do like handing children back to their parents. But if I was ever put at a children's table, I would probably have a good time. So something light, like a Moscato. I'm good. I have to say the same. Yeah. I, I would be, again, grateful to be at the kids' table because I'd rather be with the kids who are not going to ask me when I'm <laughs> going to get married or when I'm going to have a kid. You, you can rely on a child not to give a fuck about who you're with in a relationship, whether you're in a relationship or not. So, yeah, I got to hand it to children for not giving a shit. <laughs> I have one. I have, an, I have a scenario for drinking. So, have you found a job yet? And I was asked this question while I had a job. Did they say real or did they just imply it? And I'm like a professor at a, school, at a university. Now granted, am I on a tenure track position? No. But please, I don't know. I would have to say that would require arsenic. <laughs> what about you? If you're, have you ever been bothered about not being a lawyer? Did you ever have weddings during that time? No, I have always had to handle the, oh, this is Pooja, she's in law school. This is Pooja, she's a lawyer. And they leave it at that, which is fine and great, but I'm a paper pusher. So I feel like the drink of choice would be like something old and crotchety, because that's how I'm gonna get. <laughs> <laughs> if you 
Um, I would probably drink a scotch and soda for that. Ah, oh, okay. What about you, Andrew? Well, seeing as they are putting lime juice and salt into a wound, once again, I'm going to go with tequila. <laughs> it's, just, it's just convenient. It is. It's right there. It's like tequila is the drink for every single woman at a wedding. <laughs> okay, here's our final scenario. Okay, here we go. This is a fun game. There are zero cute men, single men at this wedding. What do you drink then? I am taking the entire bottle of vodka with me to my table. If there are no cute men at a wedding, well, hold on. First of all, Miranda in her 20s would have cared a little bit. Now, when there's not a cute man at a wedding, I'm 100% content and I could drink water without ice. <laughs> I could drink tepid tap water. <laughs> Questionable tepid tap water. I'm 100% content with there not being a good looking man at a wedding, but that's just me. Okay, I was gonna say, like, but you're sitting at, you're also enjoying sitting at the kids' tables, so you're playing with kids <laughs> and not looking for single men. If you are forcing me to come watch you institutionalized and solemnize your love via the state. You better have something for me to do there. What's your what's your drink for no cute partner, single person, single man, alien, whatever on you? I know what I know what she's gonna say, but just say it anyway. Whiskey and coke. Ah! What? What? Why something smoky and not something with salt on the rim? <laughs> that was a really fun game. <laughs> Okay, so now what we're gonna do is we are going to have a little tutorial for aunties who don't know how to talk to women like us. You're an auntie and you come up to a woman in her mid late thirties and you can't think of anything to say to her because she hasn't fallen into the pattern that other women have and she's single and it's an affront to your existence. What do you ask that woman? Before you ladies answer, this is a public service we are offering you. So I hope you aunties are taking notes. What is something that you can say to a single woman? I've got one. Hello. <laughs> I am gonna take one from Elizabeth Gilbert and a really great question to ask a woman in her mid late thirties who probably maybe has a fucking life is, hey, so what are you really excited about in life right now? I think that is a great question. I would advise aunties, instead of asking, where is your partner? The preferred question is, any good trips lately? <laughs> what have you been doing with your time? I love that. I love the idea that you're asking them, how is your time being spent? Because you can answer that and you can be like, oh, recently I blah, blah, blah. I have an answer for that fucking question. And not only do I have an answer, my cortisol doesn't rise and isn't suppressing my immune system and giving me cancer faster, auntie. So I just want to throw that out there. <laughs> what about you, Andrew? Huh. Read any good books lately? Have you read any good books lately? I've been reading blah. Surely you are rich and cultured and reading books, auntie, right? How about this one? Would you like a drink? <laughs> <laughs> okay, if an auntie said, hey Molly, let's go get a drink. 
I'd be like, you are the shit. <laughs> you are the shit. You're the best auntie ever. If an auntie was like, hey, Molly, we're going to get uh, some whiskey and Coke. Want to do a shot, Molly? Like if somebody said that, if some auntie said that to me, I think, my, I think I'd explode immediately. My brain would explode immediately. We are the cool aunties. So we are going to do that to our younger generations, right? Hey, you over here, let's get a drink. Um, Anyway. Also, with my tattoo showing. <laughs> Can you see if my tattoo is hanging out? I'd appreciate it if you check. <laughs> I would say our last... I would also be the auntie who hides your drunkenness <laughs> from your family. The one time the quintessential stereotypical auntie question would be better. Have you eaten yet? That's better. That is, that is a good question. <laughs> that is a stereotypical auntie question that is so much infinitely better than asking me about whether I'm going to have a baby soon. I will say this about the wedding gift. As somebody who um, gets to be featured in weddings, I have had the advantage of people not talking to me about whether I'm married or not. Because what they'll say to me after is, oh, I loved your singing, or oh my gosh, I didn't know you were a singer, or oh wow, it's so great that you're still doing this, or they'll say something like, um, oh, I really enjoyed when you blah, blah, blah. So they'll make something I did in the wedding their conversational starter, which I've got to say is a huge advantage aside from not having to buy a gift. <laughs> and so um, I recently, which is fun. I recently went to the wedding of my prom date. Who, uh, they asked me to sing for their wedding, and I did. And I did get mostly approached about my singing, or people talked to me about my singing. And we talked about where we are as people, and a lot of people asked me about career. And it was right when I was making a career change and looking for other work. And so that was the conversation what I had with a lot of people was about my career moves and what we're doing. And they were talking to me about their career moves. So that was pretty neat. And the few aunties that did bring it up. I got to say this, uh, when are you going to get married? I just plainly said, you know what? I'm just not interested in it. I'm just not interested in getting married. Okay, what's the deflection of the auntie says to you? I, my nephew is here, do you want to meet him? Or my niece is here, do you want to meet her? Easy. Uh, I'm so sorry, I really have to use the restroom. I'll be right back. Avoid them like the fucking plague. That's I also, what I suggest. I do feel like just straight up saying I'm not interested in getting married is a really excellent deflection because it will kill any conversation you are in. Like they have yes. no idea what to say. They don't this. know it. you're like you're a defective Indian, right? <laughs> you don't care about getting married. And you know what? In like, the back of their mind, they're thinking tax benefit, right? You want to become, are you ever going to be a six figure household by yourself? I and feel like you can see the, like the red alarm going off in your head. Like, <laughs> exit, exit, find an exit. Yeah. It's the, and, and when I get asked that question, it's like, oh, the people, I can see in their face before they even finish asking the question, like, oh shit, we asked the wrong person. <laughs> when are you going to get married? You got an orphan for me? Because I don't want no mother-in-law. And I say that and look at them in the eye. <laughs> <laughs> Auntie, if you're thinking in terms of capitalism, or if you're thinking in terms of earning potential, the question should be, Molly, uh, are you considering how social security is going away and that <laughs> the problems of inflation and how you're not going to be able to retire the way you want? Then I'd be like, oh, fuck, auntie, let's talk about that shit. So to summarize, our tips for surviving a wedding are drink, surprise. <laughs> um, 
have some sort of life change that you can talk about, um, offer a service at the wedding that you can talk about, or find a way to kill the conversation immediately and exit. Yes. There are ways that you can handle a wedding. Uh, we, ha we do have smartphones, so you can keep yourself plenty occupied uh, if you're having a god-awful time. But drink, drink, drink. Maybe be rude. After drink, drink, and drink, you're definitely going to be rude. <laughs> Tell aunties that you don't care for marriage, if you're anything like me. Have fun with the kids, or don't. This would be a good starter episode for my mother, let me tell you. <laughs> All right, moving on. We are going to talk about the wedding movies that we've watched. Of course, we watched one earlier this season, Monsoon Wedding. It was wonderful, but another one has come out recently that has caught our attention. What am I talking about, Pooja? You are most likely talking about Virdi Wedding, which came out on June 1st of 2018. It is, and I'm going to read from Wikipedia here and then IMDb because the summaries are kind of different. So from Wikipedia, Virdi Wedding, translation, Brothers Wedding, is a 2018 Indian Hindi language female buddy comedy film. And then the IMDb summary is all of one sentence. Four girls on their way to find true love discover that friendship this strong has its consequences. Now, that is wholly inaccurate because I saw the movie. That does not represent what the movie is. And uh, just for those of you who care, the movie cost 6.3 US million to make and thus far has grossed 21 million, but critically not doing well. And we talked about in an earlier episode about which critics we are gonna listen to. And we've also talked about Hindu nationalism and how misogyny runs rampant in Indian men's perception of women, at least in India, from what the media portrays to us. If you listen to our Daisy News episode, we mentioned how everyone's grandmother went to see this wedding, apparently, on Twitter. <laughs> and so people were copying and pasting, you know, basically spam on Twitter, or they were being a bunch of human bots. Human bots. Uh, trying to get people to stir up controversy about the film. but um... So, Anju, you've seen the preview. What did you think? Um, it looked great. I wanted to watch the actual movie, but I didn't get to because they weren't showing it in Austin. I also tried to go see the movie, and when I checked to see Showtimes, the last Showtime in our area was happening at that very moment. Yeah, it came out June 1st, and it's when we are, for timestamp reasons, this is mid-July, so it didn't make it in the theater that long. I saw it, lucky listeners, you are, and I have thoughts on thoughts on thoughts <laughs> about this. So I mentioned earlier about the synopsis. I will give you a synopsis and then ask you both through your reactions to that versus what I read to you. So the movie centers around four friends, Kalindi, Sachi, Mira, and Avni. Right, so Kalindi, beginning of the movie, gets engaged. She texts her three best friends. It's kind of very sisterhood of traveling pants vibe of their friendship. Avni is a career woman. She's a family attorney. Sakshi is a divorcee, moved back with her parents from oh, living abroad. That's fresh. Mira, married for love, and I have problems with this because she's the she's also the plus size character, and in real life, she's probably an eight if anything. And she married a white boy, 
the implication being if you're fat, you can't marry within the culture, right? The word gets out that perennially always wanting to be single, Kalindi, and you'll find out, spoiler alert, that she wants to be single because she witnessed her parents' very rocky marriage. So you all come back to India, they all come back to India for a very quick engagement in marriage, right? Because you mentioned, like I mentioned earlier, Kalindi has a limited family, so she can get this over with. Things get complicated. Her and her um, dude semi-break up. And the other girls have stories in there as well about their own proclivities, their coming of age, their resolution to perceive the problems. And uh, so the, the trailer, they say, they say fuck all the time. It looks like a bridesmaid-esque slash hangover Indian version of those movies combined. I went into it thinking, oh great, this is going to be a raunchy girls trippy in comedy. It wasn't that. And I'm not necessarily disappointed. What I want to talk about are the character introductions themselves. Oh. Okay. So Kalindi, our star Karina Kapoor, she's introduced with her boyfriend proposing to her on this beach at the Bondi Fest. And she like hides in the hides in a porta potty. So it's like this moment where a woman is dealing with actual trauma surrounding marriage is like sub subliminally exchanged with potty humor kind of because she has like she the the porta potty is the only place where she can get privacy. She's in there like, why the fuck do you have to do this? Why do you have to ruin it? We're, we're, they're living together in Australia. They're happy. And she's yeah. like, why the fuck do you have to do this? And I'm thinking, yeah, why the fuck do you have to do this? <laughs> Movie over in five seconds, right? But she says yes, because she loves this motherfucker, right? And so, um, and by the way, I can't, I don't remember the guys' names in the movies, because that's one of the great things about this. It's like, it's not really about them. Like, they're forgettable. They're attractive, they fill the role, they're eye candy. I'm sorry I don't remember your name, actors. We'll put you in the show notes. But the women in this no, movie's... No, we won't. Well, we'll put the link to IMDb. No, we won't. <laughs> <laughs> Our brown brothers, we will. Okay. <laughs> then you are introduced next to Avni, who is also an Indian. She's specifically a family law attorney. The, how you were introduced to her, she's in court. And she's representing the man in a divorce, and she's just like pointing the woman out to be like just there for alimony. So it's like, oh, she's a ball buster. We got it. Um, and then you have Sakshi, who's a divorcee, and you're introduced to her because she's coming home from drunken nights of um, hedonism, I assume. Go, girl. <laughs> at clubs in India, right? And. Her story's the most ridiculous and so Indian at the same time. I will spoil it for you. And then we meet Mira, who is the woman who married a white man and moved to her. We find out immediately her father doesn't speak to her. She's had a baby now. If you haven't guessed that they reconcile at the end because the father shows up at the wedding and finds out his grandson's named after him, then you're stupid. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or not familiar with the tropes of Bollywood movies yeah. because you are a shitty Indian. Right. So Avni, obviously, Avni wants to get married, and Avni goes on arranged dates, trying to please her mother, and her storyline ends with, in the end, she's like, Mama, I ain't got to do this. Fuck off. Her storyline is the weirdest of all, because it's that woman who's trying to be okay with being single, but at the same time, I'm okay with being single, but I want to get married to please somebody else. And her storyline's not really resolved. That's her outcome. And... Sakshi, they did my girl dirty. Okay, so she is a divorcee. Moved back from England to, um, to India, living with her parents. She parties all the time. Her family's rich. She spends a lot of money. She's, Sakshi got divorced, 
The rumor is she cheated on her husband. The reality was he walked in on her masturbating with a vibrator. And because he is masculine and he's very fragile, he pitched a fit and she was like, you know what? Out. And she was ashamed to tell her parents that she she accepted the role of harlot until like push comes to shove, like they all have a falling out at the end of this all girlfriend movies have to have, right? You always have to have a fight. And so before everybody comes together. So at the fight, like everybody tells their truths and, and so she finally fessed up to her parents in the end and everything works out. So I know I said I was not going to spoil anything, but I basically told you everything within the introduction <laughs> of these characters. I'm and, sorry, that deserves to... That shit deserves to be spoiled. That's bullshit. That is a bullshit storyline. We're in 2018. Here are the redeeming things about this movie. It does not shy away from saying marriage sucks. Okay? Yes. It does not... The reason Kalindi does not want to get married is because she saw how shitty her parents' marriage was. And they flash back to that twice. The other thing to give it props for is her uncle and her mother's brother is gay. And they don't shy away from showing him in a loving relationship. Now, as with the women, the gay man in the movie is played to a flaming stereotype where he's delicate and wrists and legs crossed and does the tutting. He's cam from Modern Family. Okay. Asexual, right? However, like... They show same-sex love never negatively in any aspect okay. of this movie. Even the shitty dad was just like, you know you're like my brother in the end when they make up. I'm spoiling everything. The other thing is to watch the extended, how they fit in Bollywood song in this movie is genius. It's a fun movie. It's out of theaters now, which is perfect. It's fun to watch at home. <laughs> Maybe have a game night, a movie night, check it out. But um, I think there's a long way to go because the women were presented as stereotypes. Mira, she's the plump one. At one point, there is body shaming in this from her friends, not the aunties. But they catch themselves and they're like, hey, no body shaming. And that's it. Yeah, that did it. And then Avni, she made it forward by eventually standing up to her mom and saying, look, marriage is what you want for me. It's not what I want for me. And then Kalindi eventually realizing that Love transcends all, and so therefore marriage will fix it? I'm not sure. You know, I don't know where to pivot from that since I'm the only one that saw the movie. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's refreshing to, you know, hear about an Indian wedding, regardless of the fuck-ups of the movie. I, I think it's nice to talk about Indian weddings and movies that include Indian weddings. All right, so we have packed a lot into this episode. Um, our last one, guys, is our big bonus episode for you. <laughs> like a bonus bonus. <laughs> um, super packed episode of the Jilted Indian Podcast to wrap up this season. Um, this has been Anju. Miranda. And Pooja. And for perhaps the final time in season two, we came with love and courage. And we hope you go in peace and power. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. Although we've come <laughs> to the other end of the road, and the road, and the road. <laughs> if you're holding somebody's child, they're gonna be like, "Oh, when are you gonna have a baby?" I don't know. Let me find somebody to fuck. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>